Hey guys, Eric Bischoff here. Now, if you need cash without the controversy, the team at SaveWithConrad.com can help. But don't take my word for it. My name is Jeffrey Munson. I'm from West Roxbury, Massachusetts. While listening in the car one day with my wife, we both were like, oh, he does mortgages. We should look into this. We've tried to refinance a couple of times and either the, the process was too crazy or we were told we didn't have enough equity in the house yet, even after owning it for about 15 years at that point you guys started servicing Massachusetts and we just jumped all over it. Reached out through the website and Larry actually gave us a buzz and started walking us through the process. And it was just, it was just wonderful. It was a great experience. So we managed to consolidate a lot of debt and also take some money out. And we were still at or below what the value of the house was borrowing in 2005 when we bought the house. Hi, my name is Jeffrey Munson. My wife and I managed to save $1,800 a month and are now paying $400 less each month with SaveWithConrad.com. And unlike the dirt sheets, these reviews don't lie. With over 1,000 five-star reviews, find out for yourself how much Conrad and his team can save you by checking out SaveWithConrad.com and do it today. You'll be grateful you did. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Woo! This all starts as crazy as it sounds, at least it seems like, in June of 03. The Observer would write, Foley called the WWE up recently and wanted to come back, although not to wrestle, at least for a short run. A lot of that is to get some visibility at the time for his novel, Tatum Brown, which is coming out combined with him being gone for so long, he'd be a fresh character. No decision was made as of June 1st, but everyone, including me, presumes he'll be the referee for Hell in a Cell, and it'll be announced on June 9th. Foley had been doing voiceovers for TNN, as you could hear him constantly if you watch the network. Boy, the timing of that, uh, given a conversation we just had. Before right we before we went before. on the air, yeah. I was talking about my, uh, my voice work for TNN. So in some ways, I was on the WWE show more when I was absent than I was when I was there because I was on four or five different times uh, a show doing the voiceovers and it was never acknowledged that it was me. Uh, But so I still had my, I still had my, you know, finger on the pulse. Um, I had left under less than ideal circumstances as a lot of us do. And that was uh, October of uh, October, 2001. I had left under less than ideal circumstances involving of all things, a children's book. This is uh, the Halloween hijinks. And I, I had gone on uh, to talk about uh, Foley is Good. And as soon as I, I uh, <coughs> got on the today, the today Show, it's amazing how important the New York Times is in the bigger scheme of things and how much of the world, the artistic world revolves around it. Because uh, even with Have a Nice Day, having done so well and hit number one, I've got this follow up and I've got a... Um, uh, <laughs> promote, not a promoter, a publicist. Yeah, who's now working with me on my second book. We, you know, we've got a good friendship, but she's saying I can't get, I can't get these venues. I can't get people. I can't get this bird. I can't get this. 
Um, I said, what about the Today Show? It got back and said, they don't do wrestlers. That's their, they don't do wrestlers. And then I get a call about the New York Times. And uh, Jennifer Souter was her, now her name's Jennifer Robinson. Still in touch after all these years with my old publicist. She goes, I've got some great news. I go, what is it? She goes, the New York Times is doing an article on you. I said, well, that is good. She reprimands me. She goes, no, no that's not good. That's great. That's great as, as, as in it's the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. So I got a little nervous at first that they were coming out there to bury me, you know, right. New York Times. So I remember calling Barry Blaustein, director of Beyond the Mat, and told them the deal. And he goes, Mick, he said, uh, wrestler writes book, is a good, writes novel is a good story. Wrestler writes novel and it stinks is not a good story. They're not coming to your house to write that story. And that lifted, that made sense, right? Yeah. So the woman comes out, she does a wonderful job. They release something, I think it's on the front page of the art section. And immediately all these outlets that said no are saying not just yes, yeah. but when yes can you? tomorrow. Yeah, when can you? People magazines out at the house that I get asked and I said, can you, uh, Jennifer says, can you be on the Today Show tomorrow? And I said, I thought they didn't do wrestlers. She goes, they're doing you. So can I tell you, can I walk you through my yes. Today Show experience, yes. right? Please. She says, Katie Couric is going to be doing the interview. I, oh, I like Katie. She goes, well, Katie can be tough. I said, well, yeah, she's tough, but she's fair. And that yeah. was the only thing I was concerned with was, uh, you know, people being fair. Yeah. So I go out, it's a five minute segment. And um, the first couple questions are a little tough about the content of the show. And then it, then it lightens up a little bit. She says, I also understand you've written a children's book. And I said, well, yes, I have. And I believe both my book and yours were on the New York Times bestseller list at the same time. And then I feel I'll never forget the feeling of Katie Couric's hand on my knee. And she says, may I say it was a pleasure to be on that list with you. Right. And so we finish our thing. And as I'm walking through, they have the big soundproof doors. Right. So I open up the door and as that door is slowly closing and it's got about this much before closing. So I can actually hear what's going on. I hear her go. He was cute. And not, I didn't take that to mean like, oh, he was hot, cute, like a cutie patootie was the word going around. Like, I just think she or she had an image in her mind of what a wrestler was going to be. Yeah. And so the next day I get a call from Jennifer and she said, guess who wants you? I said, the Today Show. I said, who? She said, the Today Show. I said, but I was just on the Today Show. And she said, as soon as they heard that you had another children's book coming out, this would be Halloween hijinks, they booked you for Halloween day. So I'd go the real mature route. I said, does that mean Katie likes me? <laughs> oh my said, gosh, that's And so she great. said, it means someone likes you because they just booked you five months in advance. So now I start having friction with the company. Um, the friction is that I mentioned in the New York Times article that I would like to write a novel. So Judith Regan of Regan Books, who WWE had their deal with and have just ended their deal, but she's the one I did my first two, you know, the, the first two memoirs with, and I had a good relationship with Judith. Uh, she makes me an offer sight unseen on a book I haven't even written. And I tell her, I, I would feel better about actually writing it before we, yeah. yeah, well, maybe that makes me a mark, you know, no. they're not, that but I, sure, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure I could do it and I wanted to make sure it was good. 
And as soon as WWE gets wind of the fact that uh, I've been offered, I have an offer, that's when Mr. McMahon, which could be his Achilles heel, the control factor, decides he does not want that novel outside of WWE. So you can do another book, but it has to be with his partner. That's what he said. Yeah. And this is where, if there's a great, there's a great scene, there's a lot of great scenes in the Get Back documentary, The Beatles. It's really extensive. While I was watching it, I watched all three episodes. There's about two hours in or two hours to each episode. I watched all six in a row. And at a certain point, like, man, there's some busy work going on here. I don't know if we need all this. But then when you see it as a as a, a total thing, you can understand, you get to see the nuts and the bolts and everything that works. And there's this scene that could have saved the Beatles where George Harrison says to John, just kind of offhandedly, he says, you know, I only get one or two songs, an album. I'm not going to do a George Harrison. Yeah. <laughs> he, he said, I've got all these songs. I'd like to do my own thing. Do you think that would be okay? And John says, yeah, I don't see why it wouldn't. And Paul later was asked about it. He said, you know, recently, could that have saved the Beatles? He said, yeah, I think it could have. If everybody would have been allowed to go out and do their own thing, you could have kept that group. I think I'm considering me and Vince to be the Beatles. Right. And I was the guy that wanted to do my outside project. And I just, as stupid as it sounds, I just didn't want the W, I didn't want the logo, logo on, it. on it. And I remember talking to JR. I to cut you off, but was that a point of pride about, I want to be able to prove yeah. I can do this on my yeah. own? Yeah, it's there's hey look, you know, you go outside, you go outside the auspices of WWE, out of the friendly confines, but it can also, can also be a little bit constricting. Yeah. And I just wanted to do my own thing and have it out there. You can ask Barry Bloom about this sometime where he's, JR goes, well, hell, he goes, you know, um, I, I said, Chair, what happens if you guys don't like the novel I wrote? He said, I don't see uh, why uh, we wouldn't like it. It's not like there's anything about anal sex in there. I went, actually, like it, I went, the book went some dark places. Yeah. And so I'm, I've got, I'm, I'm, it's like battering heads with WWE. At the same time, I've got this appointment, uh, this thing coming up with uh, uh, the Today Show. And for the first time ever, a talent asked that WWE be banned from the studio. Wow. So I just, I, I heard, I think Gary was the, uh, I can't remember his last name, he was the head of uh, PR at that time. And I called up and he told me they were going to have a team there. I said, no, absolutely not. This is something I was asked to do because they liked me. My children are going to be there. My wife's going to be there. I don't want you guys. I may have dropped an F-bomb on them, uh, but I probably just said messing it up. And then I called uh, WWE. I called the Today Show producer, said I didn't want WWE uh, in the building. And I had them banned from the building. Wow. So the next, so we had a great, great time, right? It's a great time. It's a tough time in America because it's post 9 11. Yeah. So we've got to dress out. We got, there's no green rooms open. You have to dress out in the hallway. NBC Studios had had something mailed to them, powder, whether it was legit or not, I don't know. But it was a scary time in America. And here I've got this moment to rejoice be with my family. Um, we meet Soledad O'Brien, who tells us she grew up in the house next door to the one we just moved into. Oh, wow. And thus begins a 20-year friendship with Soledad O'Brien. I turn from my conversation with Soledad, and I don't see little Mickey, who's not quite a year old. He's about 10 months old. I said, where's Mickey? And my wife says, Katie has him. 
And I look out and Katie's holding my son, who's dressed like a pumpkin, to close the show. And I thought at that time, this is one of the great moments of my life. Of you know, course. One of the things we get to do is decide our own WrestleMania moments. This is at a time when I hadn't quite come to terms with the legacy of the Hell in a Cell uh, and accepted that it was a, you know, an, an incredible moment, yeah. not just in wrestling, but not just in my life, but in wrestling as well. And at that point, I was like, hey, you know, if you want to consider that moment where I was knocked unconscious and ended up with a tooth in my nose and scared my family to death, you want to consider that a great moment in my life? That's not for you to decide, right? Like, you can consider that a great moment. And now I do. But I was like, I'm going to go with Katie holding my child to end the Today Show. On national TV. So, so I'm just telling you, the friction, the it wasn't good. I went to JR. We had a meeting at Nassau Coliseum. So wait, does he call the meeting because you banned him from? How does that go? I can't remember if we spoke on the phone or if we had the meeting at Nassau Coliseum where I wasn't even booked on the show. I come back in as their uh, uh, commissioner for yeah. a far less successful second run. It only lasted four or five weeks um, because I, I clearly wasn't happy there. And JR said, uh, her. Heard about the Today Show. <laughs> I said, yeah. Has anyone ever done that before? I said, can't say that they have. And then he said, Mick, Vince and I feel like we are at a part in this relationship where if we force you to stay, uh, the relationship will be uh, har harmed, you know, uh, inexorably. Yeah, I'm probably not saying that correctly. You get the idea. It would be without. It's going to go sour. Yeah, yeah it's going to go sour. But if we were to let you go now, because I'd ask to be let out of my contract uh, a year early, um, we let you go now, we think we're in a position where we can work together again. And does that sound right? I said, yeah, I think it does. He said, well, consider this your release. I go walking away. There's a ramp that goes up to the parking lot at uh, Nassau Coliseum. The last person I see is Stacy Keebler. And I'd always had a good relationship with Stacy. And I walked past, I said goodbye. She goes, are you leaving? And I said, yeah, and I gave her a hug. And I walk about another 10 yards and I come back and I said, in this business, just because something usually is a certain way doesn't mean it needs to be that way. And she looks at me and says, are you talking about my boobs? And oh. I said, actually, I am talking about your boobs. And she said, don't worry, I'm not getting a boob job. And I went, Okay, and that's exactly what I wanted to talk to her about because I thought there might be pressure on her. Had you heard that there would be no, pressure? No, I had not heard you that. You just knew, though. I could just see that this one of these things is not like the other, and I think that's good, you know. And it makes her different. I mean, everything makes different. We think we've learned that lesson with yes. the women now that not everybody goes for the, the same, same look. There's some widely divergent styles, you know, on the women's end, and that's great for the business. But that was the last thing I said for a year and a half. And then I did call them up. Uh, Any conversation with Vince after that? I don't believe so. I know you've had a yeah. on again, off yeah. again relationship, but despite that, would there still be birthday and Christmas messages? Something? <sighs> no more, no more Vince and Linda singing uh, happy birthday together on my, uh, on my recorder or my recording machine. Um, like it was in 2000, never hit that height again. I can't tell you for a fact that we didn't have any communication. It wasn't and warm. It was, yeah, it wasn't great. And But in the meantime, I was still in touch with Sue Aitchison. 
she knew I lived on Long Island and I did things, you know, for free for the company that, you know, they're involved in a lot of great organizations. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was completely shut out, but I hadn't been on TV in any way, shape or form. Uh, except when I'd be featured like or, or be one of those guys who was losing to one of the current stars in a video package. And yeah. I always thought that was a great honor to be thought of highly enough to be in somebody's package. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure that came out the way I wanted it. I know what you mean. (laughs) So that's setting the stage for the phone call I give uh, Vince uh, because I just thought I could come in and uh, add something to the Hell in a Cell with Triple H and Kevin Nash. And I remember the the Raw was held in Miami and I was scared, right? Like I thought I was gone for good. I remember like looking at the clock, uh, well not at my watch, because ne- I've never had a watch, but looking at the clock, 15 minutes late, 30 minutes late, hour late, all right, I'd better go. Um, I kind of uh, hung outside the door longer, you know, longer than I would have, and I opened up the door, and the first person I saw was Stacy Keebler. And she came over running into my arms, because she was with Test at the time, and she knew that bothered test when she jumped into my arms in a fun way. Um, and from there, it was like, I'd just been there yesterday. So we do this angle. Uh, you want to allude to the angle? Yeah, you know? so okay. uh, before we get going, I just want to find out, were you thinking you were going to actually get back in the ring? Did you? So none of that was planned. It was no, just, no, okay. none of that was planned. Uh, I was still uh, three bills and change at that time but i thought i could add something to the the hell in a cell the show yeah february 10th vince mcmahon does a media tour not just for the wwf but the xfl launch and he compared your wife to robin Givens, (laughs) referencing the mike tyson interview that's pretty famous now yeah and you wrote in your book that you were none too happy oh man yeah well i guess i was over enough to where i could you know take exception to that and then write about it publicly in a WWE book. Yeah. And Vince was saying, well, now this is 2020 does creative editing is uh, my wife would say, and I think here's the thing. My wife, since we met in 1990 has heard it. Oh, wrestling's fake. You know, this, that she knows that her husband's, you know, hurting. She's trying in her own way to stand up for the business, but she's doing it in a way that's not flattering to me. So she's going, he walks like a 90-year-old man. And then I would say, but like a sexy 90-year-old man. But it's their prerogative to cut out the humorous things. Sure. And they edit it in a way that makes it look like I'm on my last legs. Right. You know? And so now it brings up this ironic uh, uh, period of time, the moment of irony, where instead of trying to convince people that I'm getting hurt worse than they think I am, which is not at all, if you're an if you're a pure out cynic, you will explain away anything you say by going, "It's fake." Oh, it's fake. But, but how do you explain that? Well, it's fake. Well, tell me what's fake about that. I had a um, one of my best friends. His dad was always really cynical about wrestling, mm. and he must have studied the photo of me in midair uh, when Eric Embry, you know, pushed me off the scaffold in Dallas and I broke my wrist. He just studied it like looking for a loophole. And I'm like, here's the cast up to here. Like, yeah. I'll show you the x-rays if you want. Like, I, I felt like I got hurt. Like I was on a 20-foot scaffold. It's not a wise thing to be 
especially it's not a great place for a guy who maxed out with right. four pull-ups in, you know, fifth grade gym class to be, you really need to be able to pull and, you know, you need some skills and physical tools that I didn't have. Um, but no doubt that I was, I'd been injured many times over the course of the career. So in my own way, my wife's trying to stick up for me, talking about the ramifications. And she's talking about the head injuries and not knowing where I am. And, but we're not getting the full picture because, because I'm doing better than the show would indicate. But now when I'm stopped by strangers in an airport who weren't even necessarily wrestling fans, but people who watched uh, uh, 2020, I remember one woman saying, I'm praying for you. And I said, it's not like that every night. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the the match with The Rock was bad, right? That went over the edge. That was edge. a one-off. That pushed the envelope way, you know, in a way that should never be pushed again. We crossed the line. Oh, we went way over the line. Uh, that night. And Helena Cell was, you know, it was a, a laundry list of injuries, but it's not that bad. So now instead of saying, hey, actually, we do get hurt. Now I'm trying to protect the business by going, it's not that bad. Like, yeah. I'm not as bad off as we are. And so Vince was trying to say that I was, a, when he spoke to me, he said, well, Mick, I was trying to say that you were sympathetic like Mike was, because as Robin Givens was talking about, you know, uh, but he was saying, she was saying some awful stuff about yes. Mike, right? Uh, and and Mike wasn't even interluding, you know, when she was saying these awful things he about his temper. There. And then my wife wasn't saying anything like that. She was saying that there'd been a fallout that people didn't appreciate. And I said, you weren't comparing me to Mike Tyson. You were comparing my wife to Robin Givens. That's not acceptable. So I guess, and Vince, I, I said last night to his credit, when he sees something and he's been wrong, as he was, you know, about, uh, you know, he may have hired me just to break Jim Ross's heart, you know, <laughs> and prove that someone Jim thought so highly of was, uh, you know, use bad word here, but just quoting uh, JR, quoting Vince, it's the shits. said, somebody you think so highly of turns out to be the shits. I'm going to hire him so you know what it's like to have your heart broken. But Undertaker stepped in. I don't have verification. I don't have to believe he stepped in. So I want to work with that guy. We're going to do business. We're going to battle psychologically. And Vince, when Bruce Pritchard overheard the conversation I had with Sean backstage about dude love and how I deep down wanted to be a character much closer to Sean Michaels than the character of mankind, Bruce went to Vince and said, man, he's got an interesting story and he's got video to back it up. And then Vince pushed me in a way I never would have believed and made me a bigger star by admitting that he was wrong. And so Vince will do that. He will call. And he called my wife and he apologized. The last time I interacted with Vince was when I was really angry about um, uh, what he did with Thea Trinidad. Uh, and that awful. Thea is about the only person I remember by real name. <laughs> What's it? The queen of the Selena Vega. Selena Vega. Yeah, geez, how can I not? But Selena Vega didn't get to work on uh, the, the memorial, memorial show, the anniversary, and uh, kind of the return of WWE to NYC after two years. Yeah, and also the memorial twenty years, and uh, Selena lost her. Thea lost her dad that day in the towers, and I was freaking angry. You know, I was really angry. And uh, I don't know Thea that well, but I've known her since she got in the business. You yeah. know, it's just this bright, starry-eyed young, you know, young lady. And uh, I think I'm, 
I think I can say what I said to Vince. I think if I say what Vince said to me via text message, that's a betraying a trust. But And I told uh, Thea the same thing. I can tell you what I said. I can't tell you what Vince replied. And I said, look, you, you, know, you know, you've got issue with her because she's a strong, I didn't say that he had issues with her. I said, she's a strong-willed young lady because she'd had the issue be wanting to do her own uh, Twitch, Twitch or, or whatever, whatever it was. Yeah. Vince is still not good at relinquishing control. control. And I think she, everybody, and look, here's the thing. The, I'm, and I said last night, I love WWE, but deep down, if I'm going to have a loyalty, it's to the men and women who do the work. And I believe all of us should have opportunities to succeed after wrestling. And if you're able to take, because it's a limited run, you know, it's a limited run and it's just the nature of the beast that somebody's going to come in and take your spot. And I believe we all have to have the opportunity to take what we've done for the company and do something else with it. So I'm in her favor for Twitch, whatever it might, whatever it might happen to be. And so that's why I alluded to her as being a strong-willed young lady. I said, but I guarantee you there's a part of her every time September 11th rolls around that is still that 9- or 10-year-old girl who misses yeah. her dad. And Thea got back to me. She said, how did you know? How did you know? Like, that's exactly how I feel. So the reason I'm bringing up the Thea Trinidad situation is that Vince called her and he apologized. And he said he had apologized that day, too. Uh, he apologized, and I would say that he has made it up to her. Oh, yeah. He has made it up to her. So I think uh, Vince deserves a lot of credit for having the capability of changing his mind, admitting when he was wrong. But he 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 admits when he was wrong and moves on. Yeah. It's not as big a deal to him as it is to us. But he will do it, and he did it that night, uh, you know, that with my character, which was, you know, obviously – you and I are not having this conversation if he had refused to acknowledge that he might have been wrong about. And um, and this is one of my favorite stories, partially because I get to do a Dusty Rose invitation. And the thing is, it might not even be 100% factually correct. But my recollection of it is that I was giving these promos in uh, the, the uh, first floor of the CNN Center with Diamond Dallas Page as the he was the producer this is pre-wrestling ddp ddp had been one of dusty's right hand men uh from florida championship wrestling so dallas is listening to the promos when i would go in there i wouldn't have the one promo i would do and extend you know bruce tells that great story about yes. randy savage doing and randy one of the great promo guys but on this day, you know, that was the idea. You have one basic promo, and when it was 30 seconds, you go, oh, yeah, thinking, thinking, thinking. When it was one minute, it was, oh, yeah, thinking, thinking, thinking. So you stretch it out. Yes. When I came in, I had all these ideas, and I was just throwing stuff at the wall, and a lot of it was sticking. So that when I said, sting, you know what? I was having trouble falling asleep last night. Over the years, Mankind and Cactus kind of morphed into the same, you know, similar, very similar voice. But I said, I was trying, I couldn't fall asleep, so I started counting all of the ways that I could do bodily harm to you. I fell asleep at 1,733, and I hadn't even gotten to your legs yet. 
And so, so I got a good pop from Grillo. And there were just all the little songs I would come out with. So legend has it that DDP at, on that day went up to the eighth floor, ninth floor, and told Dusty Rhodes, Dream, you got to check this guy out. And the next thing I know, and I don't know if it's the same day or a different day, and my telling is the same day, Dusty's down in that little studio, and he's bigger than life. He's got Stetson hat. I don't think he had eight Band-Aids on his head, because I think he hadn't, he hadn't wrestled in a while. But he's got the button-down shirt. He's Dusty, you know, and he's listening silently, listening silently the first couple promos, and then he walks up to me, puts his hand on my shoulder, and says... I think we're going to keep you around here for a little while. So I had no inclination that I wasn't going to be around anyway. Right. Uh, I was simultaneously working with Sting while I was losing on global championship, global uh, Joe Pettacino's global wrestling because I didn't have a contract, right. you know. And then there's the the talk I had with Magnum where I was offered the seventy five grand. And Magnum said, it's just a carrot, you know, next year, you know, we won 50. And I looked at him, I said, Magnum, you've seen me wrestle. There might not be a next year. <laughs> That's the way I felt, you know. And you got it. Uh, and I got it. I mean, I got the one, the 150 and uh, we were off to the races and the table was set for the big angle. Uh, not only the big angle with Sting, but the teaming of uh, my Cactus Jack character with Abdullah the Butcher, which was bigger and better than probably it would have looked on paper. So now let's talk about some of these roster changes. You know, Missy Hyatt has been a big part of wrestling for a long time at this point. Um, I mean, I'd seen her in the territory days, but certainly she'd been a really big part of WCW broadcasts. Any Missy memories? I love Missy um, because I met Missy when I was nobody. And that's, it's really nice. When you meet someone, when you're nobody, they're somebody, and they go out of their way to be nice to you. They're over with, they're over in my book. Yeah. Uh, for the duration. And so I happen to have met Missy in 100 West Virginia, really difficult uh, town to get to. I was driving with Shane Douglas pre GPS. These are in the mountains. This is a little small town in the mountains of West Virginia. We thought, how will anyone even be able to find their way here? And we get into the gymnasium and it's just rocking. There was about 800 people, which is big, you know, sold out, right? Hanging from the rafters. Uh, I go to use the facilities and why in 100 West Virginia they have no stalls, I don't know. It's just a row of toilets. And uh, I was perched on one of those toilets when uh, I made Missy's acquaintance. Yeah, she, <laughs> she walked in and uh, caught the future hardcore legend dropping a deuce. And uh, that was the beginning of a great friendship. And uh, Protocol I, there is you don't finish until she leaves the room. I, we'd never been schooled in that at the Danucci School. I'm just school. asking. He never said, uh, my boy. <laughs> no, we did not know the answer to that. I think she ran out of the room. Sure. She ran out of the room. It's but uh, Missy was great. It was always great to me. Uh, you know, I got, man, I, I just avoided a tense confrontation with New Jack one time when... Um, when uh, during the Terry Funk roast in Philadelphia. I'm not sure if you ever heard that. No. Man, um, there was a pre pre uh, pre roast. Missy breaks down, 
Is this 97 ish? Um, no, this is uh, early 2000s, probably. Okay. okay. Early 2000s. Um, Missy breaks down before we go out. I go over, I say, What's wrong? And she tells me that there's a guy back there who has tormented her. Uh, not internet trolling type of thing, but has called her names, has uh, um, humiliated her in public. Uh, and he's a big guy. He's, he's jacked, you know. And I, and I walk up. I said, man, you have to leave. He's, what do you mean? I said, you don't treat Missy Hyatt that way. I remember Kevin Sullivan was right there, too, you know. And here I am. I'm beaten up. I'm past my prime. Here's a guy that's jacked. I'm going, you, got, you, you have to leave. You know, to be back here is a privilege. Yes. You have, you, your privileges are, are over. And so uh, now we go up on the, and I was, I was shaking a little bit. And the guy approached me later. He had tears in his eyes. He was so sorry. He was trying to say it was just in character. I said, you don't, you don't treat someone like Missy that you don't treat anybody that way now we go up on the dais or whatever it's called and every comic has their stuff on Missy oh They're, it's like the same jokes over and over yeah and they stop becoming funny and it's just mean uh, yeah it just becomes mean and uh one of the comics uh you know he he was a guy that I got to know later when I got got into comedy. He said, I think I was already in it. So this may have been two thousand nine. You know, I just had my just getting my feet wet, and um, he said something along the line. I'm a I'm a Jew without a job. That's like being a black guy with a small you know yeah. flat bone. And then he says something about New Jack, and Jack comes up on the stage, and Jack starts going to business for himself on Missy, and I just said that's enough and like I, I just I didn't snap because I mean I didn't snap in the sense that I think I can uh, you know you know deal up new Jack beating and he looks at me and says what I said Jack that's enough everyone on this stage it's, it's piling on I've heard enough he's saying are you telling me you want me to stop and I said yes I am and he looks at me and says I'm gonna do that out of respect for you and thus, a great aversion was avoided, but it was it was tense. And uh, I know the next day I was driving to uh, Six Flags with my kids, and Missy texted me and said, "Nobody's ever stood up for me like like that. You know, you are over with me forever." So, yeah, yeah, I go back a long way. I go back to '86 with Missy. Uh, always enjoyed working with her in uh, WCW. You know, did a little angle, you know, when I teamed up with Max Payne, uh, which in retrospect was not cool. You know, the, 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 the ugly guy kisses the beautiful woman. Yeah. Always gets a pop. Uh, not only is it, is it not acceptable these days, but I actually missed and kissed her on the neck. <laughs> like I couldn't even do that right. Dipped her and couldn't even, yeah, I couldn't even make contact. But yeah, I, I, will, I always like Missy. I think Missy is is criminally underrated. Her importance in wrestling. I feel like people go to like uh, who was the first big blonde bombshell yeah. that, and everybody says Sunny. Uh, and don't get me wrong, her influence is undeniable. But Missy Hyatt was doing that ten years prior, and she did it everywhere she went. Yeah, she did it in the mid south. She did it. Um, 
in the continental, work, world, world class, world continental. Class. Yeah, she was she was she was great, and she still is great. I saw her about six months ago. Why do you? Th- and I, by the way, I uh, I've gotten to know Missy a little bit. Um, we actually helped her with her mortgage. Uh, but nice. A, a genuinely sweet person, mm-hmm. like a really great person. But it feels like, for whatever reason, it was in fashion to be mean to Missy. Why do you think that became a thing? I can't really put my finger on where the... Because everybody has a story of, here's where the heat comes from, brother. Nobody has a messy story like what the transgression was. But it was in fashion to sort of dunk on her for a while, and it just seems mean. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe because it was she had the uh, the Hollywood uh, outsider boyfriend, Jason Hervey. Maybe it's because, uh, you know, I I can't imagine her uh, being married to Eddie Gilbert put heat on her. No, uh, I don't know. I know it was in fashion to dunk on her, and I never, I never liked that because I always thought the world of her. So by now you know that Mick and I have spent a lot of time talking about some of these death matches and some of these bloody wars that he had, but you probably also know that that blood was intentional. You see, nobody wants to get cut accidentally, but unfortunately, a lot of us do it. If you're using a cheap razor, you're getting those nicks, those cuts, that irritation. And I got to tell you, I got pretty annoyed with that whole subscription razor concept a few years ago. I found they just kept stacking up. What I enjoy most about Henson shaving is that it doesn't feel like a gimmick. It feels old school. Seriously, just the actual blade handle itself. Dude, it's metal. It's not some cheap piece of plastic that's going to break on you or frustrate you. This is like, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to last a lifetime, but it feels substantial. It feels like something our grandparents would have used. And at the same time, man, you get a whole pack of these straight razors. Dude, this is old school. But here's what's cool about it. And here's why I believe that you got to meet Henson Shaving. They're a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer that's made parts for the International Space Station and the Mars Rover. And now they're bringing that same technology and engineering to your shaving experience. You see, I've learned that razor blades are like diving boards. The longer the board, the more the wobble. The more the wobble, well, the more nicks, the more cuts, the more scrapes. You see, a bad shave isn't a blade problem, it's an extension problem. So by using aerospace-grade CNC machines, Henson makes razors that extend just .0013 inches, which is less than the thickness of a human hair. That means a secure and stable blade with a vibration-free shave. It's also got a clog-free design. You see, this razor has built-in channels to evacuate the hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. Seriously, Henson Shaving wants the best razor, not the best razor business. Let me explain. There's no plastic. There's no subscriptions. There's no proprietary blades. There's no planned obsolescence. The Henson Razor works with standard old-school dual-age blades, but it gives you that that new age, that new school tech. I mean, dude, these folks have made stuff for space. You darn right they can make stuff for your face. And once you own a Henson razor, it's only like three to five bucks a year to replace the blades. I'm a big believer in this. I was overwhelmed with the value. Seriously, you're gonna get more blades than you can imagine. In my first shave, I have to admit, I was a little intimidated. 
I haven't worked with a straight razor like this before, but dude, it was easy and I felt like a badass when it was done. I'm going to tell you the design is incredible. The durability is awesome. It's super affordable. My buddy Cassio kid came over to watch the Royal rumble and I had told him about the razor before. And I said, Hey man, I got to show this to you. And I showed him the blade. I showed him the razor. It's, it's something you got to see. I recommend it. It's the most manly thing you can do today. It's time to say no to subscriptions and say yes to a razor that will last you a lifetime. Visit hensonshaving.com forward slash Foley to pick the razor for you and use code Foley and you'll get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure you add them to your cart. That's 100 free blades when you head to H-E-N-S-O-N-S-H-A-V-I-N-G.com slash Foley and use the promo code Foley, hensonshaving.com forward slash Foley. I, I want to circle back to something you said a minute ago about wrestlers today. Uh, do you think it's fair to say that a lot of those guys are more interested in showing you what they can do? And it's the almost, uh, just because you could maybe doesn't mean you should sort of deal. Maybe it doesn't fit the character, but they want to show you what they're capable of. And it does feel like at times you watch matches and as the night goes on, some of the guys are playing, can you top this? It does. It does. And uh, I think some people out of means in this feel like it's a necessity to do that. And this goes back to what we were discussing last week, that uh, sometimes it's in the best interest of a card to not have a five-star match. Right. <laughs> sometimes uh, you – maybe you know, it doesn't have to be the same guy every night unless it's a guy who accepts that that's his – lot in life i'm going to come out there i'm going to have a pretty good match but i'm going to give people a chance to catch their breaths for the um, semi main main event and the main event and again if you're just keeping it whether it's in fourth gear all the time or fifth gear or whether i use the volume analogy uh that once you've listened to three hours of all music on uh on 11 if your volume goes up to 11 like nigel tufnels did <laughs> Then it's hard to kick it. You know, it's hard to have anything special left in reserve. Whereas if you're toying with that thing and bringing it down to three for a ballad and up to six for something else, and then I love this song. Boom! Let's turn this son of a gun up to eleven. I think uh, I think some wrestling shows are trying to stay on eleven at all times, and it prevents the overall enjoyable viewing experience that makes people want to come back for more. And there's a lot of guys who kept it in fourth gear who had really long, prosperous, consistent careers. So, yeah, not yeah. a bad thing. Right, right. But I think every, I think uh, the bookers of the card owe it to the fans to say, okay, Joey, I know what you can do. Plays, let's ah, do this, you know, let's keep those spots in check for the good of the card. We, this is the night where we want people to take a break. We're taking an intermission, come back. Just, you know, first match, same thing. Have a good match. Uh, set the tone. Don't try to steal the show. But if unless someone was telling you otherwise, and I'm saying this as a guy who was penalized by some promoters for not doing what they wanted because what I wanted was to steal the show. Do you think some of that started with ACW? I well, saw guys bleeding in the first match. And yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I talked about uh, Joel Goodhart uh, talking me to me and Eddie Gilbert about having the barbed wire match and i said okay joel but uh if we're gonna do this match let's not have many matches bleeding and, and we want to be the first match okay you got it and then uh, i'm trying to get in that zone and i see guy after guy coming back in the first match bleeding and i look out what the heck's going on is the last blood battle royal 30 guys 
29 of them are going to be bleeding. It kind of defeats the purpose and the shock and awe of being that first guy to get color has kind of been greatly, uh, you know, watered down. 29. Yeah, yeah, watered down. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, ECW pushed that. Uh, but but uh, Goodhart's promotion before that did. Uh, Japan was always known as the play where you work hard, you work stiff, you know, strong style. But they had their haha matches. Yeah, uh, they would get them in there, and the fans there were so knowledgeable and respectful that they completely accepted some of the older guys in a match that they knew was going to be fun. You know, I don't know what you know or don't know of it, but as a fan, I've always thought. That match at SummerSlam with Vader and Sean, that changed yeah. it all for Vader. Would you agree? I was I was going to look at a YouTube clip that said the moment Vader Leon, Vader's push ended and they have Sean yelling at him. Move. Yeah. 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 Um man, yeah, that was pretty that was pretty rough. That was pretty rough. And also, you know, I remember uh, remember watching uh Leon and Sean doing a uh a house show match and uh Steve Austin turns to me and goes, hell, Leon's really got that style down, doesn't he? Now he's just got to lose 200 pounds to fit it because he wasn't Vader anymore. He was literally going down on everything Sean did because it was in his head. You know, he was just, I, I rode with him. Part of the reason I, I stopped riding, I, uh, last week we alluded to the popcorn yeah. caught up in the chest hair or the potato chips in the chest hair. Uh, the horrible singing Cat Stevens. You can't stay ruining seventies classics for me. Um but it was also because he was he was pretty miserable. Yeah. He was pretty miserable. And it's like you wanna be positive and it's it was hard to be positive as Leon, you know, he was pretty having a bad experience. Yeah, he's having a bad experience there. You know, I mean he wrestled Ultimate Warrior and they want Leon running around the ring away from him. He gets in the car, he's like, I'm Vader and I'm running laps around the ring. And uh, going back to his big debut, he did get the Vader bomb on uh, Gorilla. Gorilla, but he also ran away uh, when the, the, the good guys came out yeah. for the save. He ran away, and they were big on running. And I just think they took something, like I said, that wasn't broke, like they did with Goldberg as well. And Taz. And, and Taz, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a simple formula, you know, and you don't, it doesn't make you – uh, less creative if you stick to the formula and put your own touches on it. It should be this worked on this level, but when we put the rocket on his back, it's going to work on a grander level. And in the cases of those three guys, it didn't, did not. Yeah. Leon still went back and had made him at matches in Japan, like, but he just, it was in his head. The idea that I would come in with this character with the mask and the, you know, dress from head to dome brown. And I was going to become a bigger star than that guy who had already been the big star. Yeah. Leon was one of the top money makers in the company uh, and money producers. Um, he was making a good sum of money. He was able to get like, I think, 750 grand. Great for a matches, match. though. But a match in Japan he had that was billed as being the real thing. And he worked that believable style so that to those... 46,000 people in that dome or wherever he had the match with um, the name will come to me. Uh, UWFI, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, was it Takano or Takata? Yeah. Uh, yeah. A uh, very realistic style. And if anyone looking on, wait, that guy, that guy's going to be pushed bigger than that guy. And the rivalry with Undertaker will be, uh, the characters clicked. You yeah. know, that was something that ca the characters clicked. And if I, uh, thought 
if there was a strength, one of the strengths I had was that my character, my character clicked with a lot of people that I had good chemistry with a lot of people and the programs generally clicked so that I could be a lot easier for me to look at the ones that didn't click than the ones that did because it seemed like most most of them did. So Worcester, March 10th, is the debut of the new Raw is War set. What do you think of the rebranding? I mean, Nitro seemingly had been way ahead for a while, and now you're getting a new look and feel. Long overdue, huh? I like it. It's a little bit, I think you could say it's a precursor of the Attitude Era. For sure. We're definitely trying to have some more Attitude on our show. Uh, I always look at the dawn of the Attitude Era as being that uh, group meeting we had where Vince says, the, uh, and I wish I could pinpoint the exact month, uh, but it's 97, and he realizes that the characters, some of the characters of the past, the more one-dimensional characters, are not going to work for us. And at that point, I think the Mankind character had been greatly aided by that interview I did with Jim Ross. Yep. Uh, that made that finally turned Mr. McMahon into a fan. But I but now going back to February, Raw is War is a precursor of the Attitude Era. So you and Vader team up in the main event to uh, take on and actually beat Taker and Sid after what? Sid power bombs Taker to uh, set up their their main event. Yeah, right? of course. Yeah. 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 Uh, Ken Shamrock's brought into the WWF at this time, too. Uh, that whole ECW Invasion episode is the first time we see him, but he becomes a more regular part. Uh, what did you think of Ken the first time you met him? Well, Ken was the world's, world's most dangerous man at that point. Like, yeah. legit, right? So going back to Leon, what he brought to the table is Leon worked that really believable style. Yeah. The, uh, within a month or two, I, I, Ken's first uh, uh, debut was against was against the MMA guy from the Lions. You know, the Lions then it was yes, and it was less than awesome. Yeah, less than awesome. Even with a lot of blood, yeah, it didn't seem to make sense. Uh, but by the time he works with Leon, they have a barn burner of a match that looks like it could be legit because at Leon, that Taker's Revenge show, right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so. So what was great about Kenny is that he didn't have to become as good as he did. You know, like, he, what are you going to do if he doesn't want to play by the rules we're playing by? He'll whip your ass. Yeah. yeah everybody knows that. And instead, he becomes a, a very good worker. Yep. You know, I would say a great worker. Uh, he's got, he's so intense. He's in the zone. He's got the great credibility, which he then uses to help other people yeah. with their credit. So it looks like, hey, if you can hang with Shamrock, you know, you, you've got to be able to, uh, just in fans' minds, because of the legitimacy he had, uh, it, it kind of helped us all. And, um, and he, you know, it, probably my greatest moment with Ken was the three-way match with, uh, with Dwayne. And I guess that was 98. We're jumping ahead. But Ken was really a great hand. And I've got a tie that I used to wear and later went on to buy it for a dollar off eBay where it's, you know, the guys who were seen as the the big players in the Attitude Era. Yeah. And it's Undertaker. It's Triple H. It's Kane. It's me. It's Rock. It's Shamrock. Yeah. So he is that kind of a guy at that time and if he did not choose to go back into the uh, mma world there's no telling no telling no telling but i think mma is where his heart was 
you know, when we're talking about the success of WCW in that era, a lot of that success uh, is in large part due to somebody who doesn't get the credit. That's Kevin Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan was one of the head bookers, maybe the head booker, depending on who you believe. But even Bischoff gives him his flowers and says nobody booked heat like Kevin Sullivan. Mm -hmm. And I've always found it interesting where seemingly everyone has worked everywhere. Kevin Sullivan never worked for WWE. And when I had a conversation with Kevin about that once, he said he met with Stephanie once. Mm -hmm. And she asked for a resume. And Kevin Sullivan didn't have a resume. Uh, And I understand that's not necessarily an indictment on Stephanie because she lives in a corporate world. So in a corporate world, everyone has a resume. But to ask Kevin Sullivan, what would I know you from? Uh, well, the NWO, Goldberg, we did some things. Why do you think Kevin Sullivan never had a shot with WWE? I don't know. I remember talking to Kevin. Maybe it was in 96 or 97. Uh, he wanted to be part of creative. He thought that we could do what we had done with the slaughterhouse on a bigger scale. Uh, you know, you, you saw my live show. And I talked glowingly about Sullivan. Yeah. At that point, what really kept the early cactus, the early 1989-1990 Cactus Jack alive in WCW, was the fact that uh, Sullivan and Corny, they had a hand. They were the ones who did creative on the losers. Uh, you know, like that doesn't sound like a very uh, important position, but they. What I meant, but what I mean by that is that. Uh, Jim Hurd left them alone to do what they wanted to do, and they came up with this great underneath angle of having me attack my partners. Yes. Uh, and and it worked so well. Kevin came out from behind the uh, announce booth, and we formed Sullivan Slaughterhouse. And that's where, you know, just recapping what we talked about in the past, this great little angle, which wasn't meant to be on top, but it was such a great character builder, and it made me you know stand apart. You know, I, Kevin would look over for the tag, and Kevin wrestled a very physical style, very believable brawling style. There wasn't a lot of Kevin getting together with opponents to go over the spots. It was basically, you know, Kevin really, you know, really roughing up these guys, not taking liberties, but you knew when you were in there it wasn't going to be a fun five minutes for yeah. those guys, right? The tree of woe, he was hitting you with everything he had. The punches, the kicks, you know, were really solid in there. But he was a great creative guy, and he's brought out the best in in these angles that went on to be, you know, the, the home run angles for WCW. But even as a performer, as the games master with uh, Rick Steiner and Mike Rotundo, like, that's great stuff, yeah. you know? And then, they, you know, they later added Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and... But that was a great, that was a great faction, great faction. And everything that Kevin did, I think, worked on a certain level because he was a believer in heat. And, you know, from time to time, WCW would change its uh, emphasis on heat and how much someone was allowed to get. You know, like when we were the slaughterhouse, Kevin had the whitest butcher smock because there was not supposed to be any trace of blood. To the point where I think when Kevin was working with Norman the Lunatic, uh, Kevin he, like, hit uh, Mike Shaw with a painting, and the idea was the painting had red paint on it, so you were able to get some semblance of color. Yes. As silly as it was, you know, there was you know not a drop of blood. Allowed. I'm not saying that was silly, but I'm saying the idea that you had to get you know, red paint involved. Right to make uh, something look like, uh, you know, enhanced physicality. That was the hand we were working with. They yeah. had a much freer hand 
Uh, maybe Bischoff's doing, probably. You know, I mean, I just go and say, they definitely Bischoff had a big hand in making WCW more important in the Turner organization. And uh, Kevin was a big part of that process. So you talked to him in 96, 97 about maybe trying to do some stuff yeah. with WWE. Vince responded to me. He said he'd be interested in having him in creative, not really interested at that point of having him in the ring. Um, and it didn't come to fruition. Kevin caught back on with WCW, was one of the major uh, power players. Yeah. And also, you know, it. You know, as my name applies to it, he was, you know, said to have watched uh, the Hell in a Cell match. Uh, me and Undertaker in 98 turned to whoever else was in that room with him from the booking committee said, it's over, brother. What's over? The Monday Night War. They just won it. That was how he felt. Like he could see that that was going to be a... You know, a watershed moment. moment. Yeah. Were you a, were you a Bruno fan growing up? Yes, I was. Like uh, there was just something about Bruno, uh, even when he did his comeback matches. Like it, he didn't do that much, but everything he did was done with a commanding presence. So I did. But growing up as a WWF fan, later WWF fan, you didn't get to see Bruno wrestle. On TV, unless it was a big angle, you know the angle was a bisco. It was very rare you even saw a competitive match uh, when I when I was growing up. So you'd have Bruno come out and he would do his market specific promos, you know, at the time for the, the Garden. And I didn't I didn't go to my first match until '83. Uh, Bruno, I think he was I think he was part of country, company because he was doing commentary in '86 when I did uh, a few of my legendary enhancement matches but yeah they had a fall vince and uh vince and uh, bruno had a falling out and uh herb scooped him up and that was a major get like major when was the first time you met bruno i can't remember would it have been here or before it would have been before that because he was best friends with danucci okay so i would have seen bruno a few times even before 1990 and i saw bruno frequently you know, at least through 2013 when we were inducted into the Hall of Fame, and I think I saw him a few times beyond that. Did you ever have a conversation with him? I mean, a lot of times we hear guys talk about sitting under so-and-so's learning tree. As a guy who grew up in the Northeast, were you seeking his advice and his encouragement, or did you ever say, Mr. San Martino, would you mind watching my match uh, no, or anything like that? No, no, but, uh, you know, when I heard him talk, it would be like at a lunch with Dominic. Okay. I think he did, came down to the school a couple times. What a great guy to have around you, though, right? And sure. Have in your corner. I remember, you know, I, I, I uh, Bruno was being honored at some wrestling dinner, and I was asked to speak, and I said, I can't get over the fact that Bruno likes me. And then when Bruno got up, the first thing he said is, I do like him. I like him. I think he's out of his mind, but I like him, you know. No lies detected. (laughs) No lies detected. StarCast returns to the Chicago area this Labor Day weekend. Tickets for StarCast 6 are now on sale at StarCast.com and include AEW all-out ticket bundle options. Join us at the Hyatt Regency Schaumburg starting Friday night, September 1st, for unique fan experiences with wrestling legends from yesterday and superstars from today. Follow StarCast events on Twitter for the latest updates about all things StarCast. 
StarCast 6 is brought to you in part by ProWrestlingCrate.com, monthly mystery crates for diehard wrestling fans. Plans start at $9.95 and are the perfect gift for any wrestling fan. Visit ProWrestlingCrate.com today. Hey guys, need to call a quick time out here. Wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling my listeners over at OU didn't know for a while now about all the cool things happening over at adsfreeshows.com. On the debut episode of Making the Town, Blue Meanie takes us through the memorable matches and moments of the famed ECW arena, including one that was never seen. Something very special happened after the power went off. Uh, Paul Heyman went out into the ring and spoke to the crowd without a microphone. And the crowd just stayed quiet and listened. And he gave the most heartfelt thank you to that crowd that night. And uh, the biggest shame of it is there's no footage of it because the power went out. On an all-new Tuesday with the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan talks about what some of the greatest factions of all time have in common. Four horsemen, four guys, Mm. when they're in the strongest. NWO, four guys when they're at the strongest. And then Bloodline, four guys. But they also had a manager, each one of them, JJ, Eric, and Paul E. That's just a small taste of what we got waiting for you. With four levels to choose from, see for yourself why Ads Free Shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at adsfreeshows.com.